millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello everybody, and welcome back to that podcast with that bail intro. Um, <laughs> I'm just pulling your chain, I know that if uh, any of you did actually listen past the intro then, and you're listening today, then you be a, uh, an avid listener of Rule the Roost podcast. It was actually quite, uh, it, w- it was quite interesting to see. Um, I did have a little look at the uh, retention stats because there was quite a spike in traffic on the last episode actually and I was I was intrigued to see um, and not surprised that the majority of these new listens basically lasted for the uh the the intro and then swiftly cut off after about two minutes of chat so uh that's uh a nice uh a nice confidence booster but uh no pressure on on anyone um least not on mr single malt suds aka phil i think that's the other way around really isn't it it's phil aka single malt suds depends actually depends does it uh, yeah it depends on the um forum i get I guess single malt suds is the um, primary thing in in this in podcasting and Twitter and etc. I've just been watching the uh, the social dilemma, um, and I'm trying to sort of think on the spot of some way in which to tie that and what it might mean. But I guess we just like doing stuff on the internet, don't we nowadays? Yeah, better than leaving the house. Not that we can, but. <laughs> 
Well, who wants to do that anyway? You can look at a picture of some woods. You don't need to actually walk in them, do you? Right. No, God forbid. The only people that walk in woods are nonces and, I don't know. Murderers. Murderers. And the person that's walking the dog that finds that... Right, okay, let's, let's, let's move on. Um, go back to that. I'm just, I think it's, I'm sort of rambling already. I mean, it is generally like my MO in it, but today in particular, I just, it, it's that nasty, big, grim thing that I don't really want to tap into, but I obviously also do because I'm recording a podcast about it right now. The absolute fucking sickening travesty that was Newcastle at home yesterday. Um, there's a lot of big fat opinions all over the shop and obviously I have my share of them, but come on, right, Phil, I'll, 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 I'll give you the stage. I'll give someone else the stage for once. All right. People have heard enough of me talking, um, although they haven't, that's why I keep coming back, you know, I'm just saying, but, uh, <laughs> what do you think about yesterday? Um, I think it was, as you say, a, a complete travesty. Interestingly, when, when the whole VR, VAR check was going on, and you know that there's like a point, it, it's, if it's not going to be called, it's usually immediately, you know, it, it takes like 10 seconds and like, nah, and then that's it and it goes on. The longer it goes on, you know that you're in trouble, I think, especially when, you know, it, it's coming against you. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a handball in short and i think that this is something that we've got to explore a bit and i think that the um the narrative is not quite right at the moment from what i've seen in, in like the papers and uh match of the day and all the uh twitter heads banging on about it people forget that var itself is not a sentient being right it's not it's not it doesn't make decisions it's just a video camera that can replay bits that have happened in the game People are making decisions based off that, right? Now, the I don't know how a professional referee can... First of all, the ones in Stockley Park can watch that from the, you know, it not being a foul or it being a, a soft foul to it being a player being shoved in the back with his back to the ball and it bouncing off his arm 17 yards from the goal for that to then be a penalty, i.e. a free shot of goal, i.e. a equalising goal in the 93rd minute. That's not VAR. That's not technology. That is referees making a decision. Even going to the on-pitch screen and the referee watching that, how on earth is he coming to that decision? That is the question. The VAR, you know, oh, you know, people are ruining our game, blah, blah, blah. No, it's terrible refereeing at the bottom of it. You can say rules in this, but the, the handball rule does have a criteria for, you know, if the player doesn't know anything about it. And, you know, 17 yards from goal with your back to the ball midair after being shoved. How is that a handball? I mean, is, so because this has been the mitigation, right, for when there's been that argument that you're presenting here that there's a, there's a lack of either aptitude or guts or there's you know even more kind of malicious agendas at play to maintain sort of hegemony of the top clubs so on and so forth 
whatever it is, when people have criticised the referees, the comeback has always been, well, to be fair, the letter of the law is, intentional or not, the ball strikes basically anything below the shoulder, then it's a handball, right? Mm-hmm. But you're saying that, because I, I have struggled to find an actual definition of this, but it seems as though you have an, it, there is mitigation for the referee's own objectivity, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I saw, I, I can't remember, somebody tweeted it, I think it was um, Darren Bent, or I think one of those kind of, that level of kind of, um, you know, pundit tweeted it and, and kind of underlined the, um, the the point and it said that that there because there has to be there has to be you know this is a decision and yeah I, I, so it's not the rules in in my, in my book it's the it's the refereeing and I think they are being petulant by using um, VAR the way they do especially in, in in England there seems to be that they're it's really got their back up that they're being asked to double check everything and that seems to have been the case since its inception a few years ago that you know i seem to recall that the english referees pg mol were not not for it they, they were kind of like you know not not overly happy about it being um you know their 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 authority being questioned or double checked in real time now that's what I think is the problem. And yes, you can say that there's a, a big a big team bias. That that's likely true as well, as we see. You know, football. As I said yesterday on Twitter, the it's 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 supposed to be a sport, right? It's supposed to be a sport, and yet it is packaged up as this entertainment product that feeds these. You know. All right, it's ironic that we're talking about it on a podcast, but it's that sort of thing. It feeds these column inches, feeds these, you know, opinions, and and that there's so much money to be made in that that it's it's just it's just so far removed from it being an actual level playing field. Excuse the pun, to actually being something that needs to be injected with these controversies, and it's. I don't I don't know what I'm watching and I think that was quite telling for me that when it was being played out yesterday the um, VAR check and when it went to a penalty I wasn't like throwing anything at the TV I just felt completely distanced from what was happening and I think that's telling for me that it just shows that you know I don't watch Love Island I don't watch Big Brother I don't watch The Apprentice because I'm not interested in that sort of is it real life semi coherent entertainment product i'm watching something because i want to see a sport being played at its highest level i don't need any kind of interruptions or interjections of things and that's that's the kind of feeling i got from it that's why i've been quite vocal about it was usually just don't get involved in var stuff right because i've got better things to do with my time but it was just such a telling reaction for me to see that play out and and just feel like you know, I was watching a movie that I wasn't that interested in, that I was had no empathy for the characters or whatever. That's that's the position I felt. Yeah, I mean, it's it is an interesting point, really, and I think this is something that we definitely do need to expand upon the idea of VAR being sentient or not, and what what purpose it actually serves 
um, within the game because, you know, when there was the initial trepidation from everybody about the use of VAR, they were very, they, they packaged it up very neatly. It was very much a case of VAR is going to be implemented to help with those kind of, essentially like the big decisions, right? If the referee hasn't clearly seen something off the ball so we've seen it all the way down through the Premier League years like the crowd react to something players are remonstrating and the referee nor the linesman have seen an elbow or something like that that's occurred off the ball in situations like that that's kind of what I was assuming VAR would be used for um I mean I I know it it really splits opinions but if if I really have to say and we've been on the receiving end of it and we've gotten the rub of it as well at the same time but with the offside I know sometimes people will say it was a toe offside or it was this or it was that but the line is the line right and an offside is an offside and as minuscule and as ridiculous as it feels it's a fair system if it's appropriated with a hard line that you can see that you can literally draw a line as you can with Hawkeye and goal line technology you can clearly draw an offside line there's no objectivity to that it is no matter how little a portion of this person is he's offside and yes I I understand off the back of that there's arguments and discussion about frame rates and the resolution as to you know the images and the 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 validity of those results but still it's a move towards something that is fair essentially um but this type of thing now that we're seeing like with that handball is because I'm I'm completely with you. I you know I I think it was I joked about it at the top, but I really do think it's an absolute fucking scandal. I think it's I think it's just preposterous that Spurs have been denied three points in that game, and I, it, it that does it. That's that kind of takes it down a notch because as we were kind of talking about on WhatsApp after the game, right? We knew the second Andy Carroll was coming on. We were like, right, here we go. This is, this is the player that causes us problems. We know both Sanchez and Dyer are vulnerable in the air. We've seen it at several points throughout this season and a big disruptive lump like Andy Carroll what he's known for, you know, jumping in with his elbows. He's a strong lad. He's a big lad. You know, he's got a big thunderous header on him. He's either going to tee one up or he's going to smash one in. And you could just see that happening. And I'm going to be fuming and I'm going to be livid if Spurs concede a goal late to Andy Carroll because for whatever reason, be it under Pochettino or be it under Mourinho, be it coaching, be it on an individual level, who knows. Our inability to deal with set pieces still seems to plague us, and that's something that we need to deal with. And that's a totally different discussion. That's you having a tantrum because you don't like that sometimes football doesn't go your way because your team 
have done something wrong or the other team have done something right and exploited your weaknesses. To have something like what we witnessed yesterday happen to deny you the points, it's not even about dropping points anymore. It's, as you say, a feeling of coming away from that game like, why am I even watching this? What is the what is the point? Like, this is not a sport anymore. This is, and I, I this is the thing. Like, I I know there is so much knee jerk hyperbole that comes off of the back of this stuff. It's an absolute disgrace. It's the game's gone. The whatever. But you cannot help but feel that way. You cannot help but feel that, as a lot of people warned us. The natural ebb and flow of football will steadily get drained away the the more electronic it becomes. I, I don't know. I can't th- really think of a you know, mechanical, robotic, whatever you want to put it. It's it's such a, a visceral sport. And that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's always been that, right? It's that idea of bottled lightning, of those huge outpourings of emotion that we see in things like the Ajax game or going back to Man United coming back against Bayern Munich or Troy Deeney against Leicester all these kind of incredible moments that as Pochettino said without football I I just don't know where these emotions would come from I don't know where this feeling would come from but slowly and slowly it is starting to drain away. Even, you know, off of Mora's goal, our first goal that we did score, I didn't celebrate it at first because straight away I was like, oh, Kane was kind of advanced there and then Mora came in at the back post. Was he... I don't really know when Kane hit it across or when Kane actually first received it. Did he not? Let's just wait and see. And then you see them kicking off again. There's obviously been no VAR check and... You're just relieved, but you're not getting that kind of feeling of ecstasy really instinctually anymore. And it, it it's becoming more and more a thing. And I, I think the problem I've kind of felt is that we have, since the Champions League final, as Spurs fans, I found it hard to find the level of detachment where it lies in so much as... Do I feel a bit detached because we missed out on the biggest game that we're probably ever going to see in our lifetimes? Do I feel detached because the Mourinho project, uh, the Pochettino project has started to fade? Do I feel detached because these guys who I held so much love and affection for, Ericsson, Vertonghen, Danny Rose, Kyle Walker, Moussa Dembele... Deli Alley, they're starting to fade or they've moved on elsewhere. Or is it just a general feeling that football is becoming like this staged, managed, made in Chelsea or Love Island, I think you called it yesterday, type proposition where yeah, I you know, it it, it is tinfoil, mate, but there is a, there is there is a really growing and nagging part of me now that really strongly feels after yesterday and i know it sounds a bit ridiculous because they got that 
Lindelof handball against them. But in a clutch moment like that, 95 minutes at Old Trafford or at Anfield, do Liverpool or Manchester United get that given against them? And if they don't, why do they not? Because we saw in that Brighton game two, for me, stonewall penalties that were not given against Manchester United. Like, they were already 1-0 down to Brighton. And at that point, they were looking like their asses were about to completely fall out. And I think, or it might have been 1-0. And, you know, it was going to be another Crystal Palace game. And then Pogba got away with a criminally stonewall penalty. And that's put down to, oh, because Connolly made too much of it. Well, but that that's irrelevant. And then the second one, Maguire, I think, flattened that Connolly lad again. Two two challenges as well, which were identical to, ironically, one that Eric Dyer did on Paul Pogba in our game against Manchester United last season and was awarded a penalty. But they managed to get away with both of those and obviously subsequently went on to win the game with what was... um, a borderline farce of a penalty after the final. So I'm not talking so much about the actual penalty or not itself. I mean, that's open for debate. Um, I think that's open to much more debate than the one we had with Eric Dyer yesterday. But still, the fact that players could be walking off the pitch knowing that the final whistle's gone and then, what, two, three minutes later, they've lost the game. Um, And... What are we watching, mate? Like, what, what, what do we, what do we rally behind now? What do we get behind? Because if you're not, if you're not being faced with something that's fun or keeps you on the edge of your seat in the way that we interpreted it, or the way in which we've grown up with, at least, is it just time to move on and support a non-league team or a lower division team than a Premier League team? Do we just accept now that this is here to stay and that? top flight elite level football is fundamentally not for us anymore Mm. yeah it's it's just feels like it's stage managed doesn't it that's 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 the thing and it's very hard to kind of yeah we don't want to be tinfoil hat about it but let's be honest you know the bigger teams doing better is better for you know sky sports bt newspapers because they have more fans, they have more interest, and if those fans are interested, they're going to spend more money. So I don't think it, it sounds ridiculous to say it, but I don't think it is actually that far of a mark to say that, you know, that, that there is a, maybe it's unconscious bias towards them, but I don't know. But like Mourinho said in his post-match yesterday about how, ah, now he realises what it's like to manage a team of, despite us being a big team, a, a a smaller big team of Spurs' stature because those things do not go for you. So he he's seen it, and you know he he he's been on both sides of the fence now. So it's 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 frustrating, and and it's and it and it's weird, in short. Because you know Manchester United are. I mean, I I totally get that to some they'll be listening to this thinking right, you know. Jack's go full flat earth, anti-vaxxer, <laughs> 5G equals COVID on this. 
But I just feel that we see too many examples of these kind of power structures of elite clubs. And these elite-level clubs that have cronies, pals, like, you know, Arsenal for years have had chairman or board members who have either been on the Premier League's governing body or high up in the FA. Yeah, people with the levers of power, shall we say, making decisions that affect things for everybody and there's a lot of money on the line as we say that is it you know is it is it actually that ridiculous to suggest that the premier league as as a brand because they it's not it's not the fa and this is like a common misconception that the premier league is somehow governed by the fa it's not it's its own private entity it's a it's a it's a corporation that essentially wrestled a lot of power and money away from the FA, um, which, you know, we can be proud to be a part of <laughs> in the early days of that. Um, is it is it that much of a stretch to say that Manchester United, a team who is one of the biggest global sporting brands alongside, you know, the New York Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys, Barcelona, Real Madrid, that they want them to be good again? that it's not good for their product that they sell around the world to have one of its key assets be a clown car. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, and yeah, I, I think it's... It, when you actually think about it, it's kind of naive to think that it doesn't play a part in in what happens on the field. I'm not saying there's like a memo that goes out at the start of the season to FA, Premier League, whoever, to... You know, give the bigger teams a rub of the green. I think it's a bit more insidious than that. I just think it's, as you say, it's a brand. I was thinking about this yesterday, and this was going off on a bit of a tangent, maybe going off on a bit tin foil. But I'd like to see what Sky Sports revenue was like, or whatever, whatever measurement it it would be, subscriptions, whatever. When Leicester won the title compared to the year where City and Liverpool were fighting it out up until, you know, pretty much the last game. Because, you know, and you you can admit that the latter example is the more interesting one, you would say. Yeah, right. Seeing Seeing a small team go up and people try to make a bigger deal out of it as, you know, as they could. But at the end of the day, does Leicester running away with the Premier League title have a massive global draw to it no it doesn't it do- it doesn't at all so again we're throwing loads of jigsaw pieces out here and trying to like batter them together but i think it is worth kind of just just acknowledging that as you say the premier league is a corporate brand it's not a sporting institution it's there to strengthen its brand it's there to attract advertising revenue and it does that by attracting or aiming itself at the bigger audiences which are the fans of the bigger teams it's 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 simple marketing really and as you say if there's a little bit of kind of leeway in terms of how the bigger clubs get treated then it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander right 
And it, it's worth acknowledging this as well, you know, as Spurs fans, we're not like a minnow club. We have definitely benefited in the same sense when up against some muck team like, I don't know, I would say Norwich, but I think they did us quite a few times last season. But, <laughs> you know, that that so we, we have benefited as well from like a, a, a tear down. And I don't know, it's, it's, so, so you have to acknowledge it, it, it does benefit you sometimes. But if I hear it evens itself out at the end of the season, that is the biggest load of nonsense that has been spouted about football for decades because it's unquantifiable. It's nonsense. And Graham Soonish yesterday needs to have a word of himself. I don't know if you saw it. His, his post-match comments was basically everyone was in their right mind questioning the validity of this rule. And he was like, shrug, that's all right. Makes it more exciting, doesn't it? Graham, mate. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. So, you know, th- there's 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 actors in this that are um, bloody hell. This mate, this does sound like um, <laughs> a conspiracy podcast <laughs> now, but this is what we're faced with. It faces us with these questions as to why we're watching something now suddenly where that can that can occur because it's completely against what we thought we were watching and what we thought we'd signed up to emotionally and financially, and it's and an, another point on this. Andy Carroll came on last 15 minutes. Your team is 1-0 down. You're throwing a big man. That's, you know, fine, great. That's what teams do. That's what you expect to see as a tactic. In those 15 minutes, he called handball seven times. So about everything that he was involved in, essentially. Seven times he called for a handball. And this is what happens. When you introduce a rule, footballers will adapt to it to find, you know, like like Mane in, in the Champions League final, he literally flipped the ball up to hit Sissoko's arm, knowing full well that he'd get a penalty for it. Do we want to see now a tactic which means in the last few minutes, the team losing will throw on two centre-backs up front and just, you know, put it about looking for a handball, even if it's on the edge of the edge of the penalty area, to try and get something out of it. That ain't football. That is... God knows what that is. See, the the funny thing is, and I know you're not doing this. I'm just saying it as a as a wider point because you've raised this kind of very presciently. I don't really hold it against people like Andy Carroll for doing what he's. I don't hold it against players on an individual level. I don't, no, you know, I hate true. to say it. I don't even hold it against Mane. It's players who are. Being smart is exactly what Mourinho said Spurs lack. We need to embrace the dark arts. We need to flex our muscle within the parameters of acceptability, right? We need to start to exploit these things. So that, yeah. I think that's what he's been talking about, being a you know smart cunts, as he put it, or intelligent yeah. cunts. And I, I don't hold it against the players, but yeah, as you say having a mechanism in place that actually legitimizes this that's when the game it it surely surely just needs to take a look at itself because what what is football going to look like you know and it it does sound like this bizarre gammon alarmist knee jerk kind of rhetoric when you do hear People saying like, well, you know, what am I going to be coaching the kids at on Saturday or Sunday? Are we going to be teaching them how to play for handballs? It's like, well, yeah, you probably should 
fast what the mm. rules of the game have become, then do it. Tell them to be alert to that. It might win a game for their team. Yeah, I, I think that this this rule is just they've they've tinkered just a step too far with it, and I think that that's you know because next week or next game week we can see legitimately all teams going out and then just trying to kick the ball at each other's hands in the penalty area, and you could have five six penalties a game, which you're not too far off getting at the moment in some respects. So. Again, that, that feels a bit gammon to say it, but that they could legitimately go out and do that. And I would like, it, let's say that happened, what would a referee do? They know what's a penalty given what's been given penalties this weekend. Will they be saying, well, it's hit his arm penalty, hit his arm penalty, hit his arm penalty. That, and you can't, again, you can't blame the players for that. Like You can't even blame Callum Wilson. I don't know if you saw his post-match yesterday when he was like, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Got me on the score sheet. There shit still has to be room for shithousery in football, right? So that's fine. But as you say, adapting to the point where the game just becomes a nonsense, I don't, I don't understand. No, uh, it it's just it's just very deflating, isn't it? And as we were saying, probably said already on this pod, it's just it's a different type of deflation this time. It's not it's not same old Spurs of just kind of let Andy Carroll in at the back post and he's got one got one past Lloris when Sanchez or Dyer should have picked him up. That you can reconcile. Yeah. And this it's still annoying, but as you say, that's that's football. That's you can understand yeah. that. That's 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 the risk you run if you don't put a second or a third away. This starts to make you think, well what's what's the law for this, right? I'm I'm what, I'm gonna come back and pay sixty pounds for yesterday's game. For an average, like what, you know, on average, yeah, okay, I know there's different price points, but the average seat now, White Hart Lane, 55, 60 quid. And to sit and what, watch that, to sit and second guess the goal we scored, to spend £37 on a pulled pork brioche wrap and a couple of... You know, craft ales, and then watches. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? To, to TBF, um, but uh, and then have have that kind of feeling of just like, wow, great, well, nice one. And I mean, I shudder. I I I, <laughs> I actually saw that because uh, I'm one of those people. I'm actually quite crap at keeping up with who we've got next and our fixture list and all this type of thing. And it was after the game, after I was making a big belly aching point on whatsapp about how man united will never get those type of decisions go against them i see that our next game is against manchester united and honestly already in my mind i've consigned myself to the fact they're going to get at least one penalty in that game yeah they just are it's it's fair and as you're saying about like um going to a stadium 55 60 quid whatever it is it's they're not selling supporting a football team understanding your football team being able to know your players and know what to expect good and bad they're selling the drama of it yeah because that's what they think people want they don't it's gone too far this spectacle of the Premier League has gone too far it's just I just want to watch football I just want to watch my team that I know the players and have a couple of hours of you know thinking oh I predicted that that this would happen and I'm right rightly you know neg- positively or negatively 
But um, yeah, Manchester United. I mean, you, I would say you couldn't script it, but they probably fucking have, mate. So now we've got this like showdown, and um, Solskjaer and uh, Mourinho have been digging each other out a little bit, lightheartedly, lighthearted ribbing over the last couple of days, I think, about this. But it, you know, it's tinderbox stuff, isn't it? Yeah, like, and as, it... as you say, but going into it, you're just going to think. Well, of course they're going to get one, if not two penalties. And even if we've got the game one, yeah, how long do they go back and look for an infringement? This I made a point glibly yesterday, I think, about how. Um, when does it end? I mean, could you literally go back through a game, a day after, and say, "Oh, actually, that was a penalty, or that wasn't a penalty, that didn't cross the line, so chalk that goal off." And that sounds stupid to say, and it sounds like I'm being ridiculous, and I am purposely to a point, but actually, it's not that far off. It's not that far away from what we've got at the moment. Man United got a penalty after the whistle. Yeah, all right. It was immediately before the whistle that the um, infringement happened and, and whatever, but a game had finished and then restarted to take a penalty so one team could win it. That's... That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, this it, is judgment it, calls. It, it would be hard to see a, a, a way in which, I mean, not impossible, but hard to see a way in which that could be implemented, really. But other than maybe, you know, okay, so there's enough of a body of evidence to suggest that at 2 1 down, Manchester United should have had a penalty and so on and so forth. Yep, they went on to draw 2-2 in the end anyway, but they might have gone on to win it 3-2. So in light of that, we'll award them a bonus point or something like that, you know? Um, and as ridiculous This as is a straw man, like, I know, but... But I think, you know, you've just explained a, an example. And again, I, I am talking about like a dystopian yeah. example of this, but you have just described a way that they could do it. <laughs> And I God, God hope that people aren't listening to this. Well, I mean, obviously, your listeners are, but not. Well, yeah, no, I mean, they sort. won't be, mate. So don't worry. They, how long will we be going? Yeah, we lost them all by now. Yeah. But um, you know, it is, and it just begs the question: like, what is, what is the next stop on this route of tinkering w- with the game? You've already got red cars being rescinded. Everyone kind of accepted that at the time because mm. you know. It means you're going to miss a few games. But if you think about Sun when he got sent off when Andre Gomez broke his leg, you know, that stuffed our chance of getting anything out of that game. So there's already this kind of retrospective messing with the game. What's what? What's next? What's next indeed? Um, well, I'll tell you what's next. About the actual game. Let's talk about the game. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah, let's let's kind of pick apart what we can from from Spurs' performance because I you know, contrary to a lot of what I've seen, I actually thought Spurs were pretty good, even in the first half where we apparently weren't. I uh I thought I thought Spurs played pretty well. Um I'm a big fan of Giovanni the Celso. I've got to say, he was somebody I wrote off pretty early. I just thought, nah. my knee jerk to him, should we say, was Carlos Kickable. It's not, you know, it's just, it's another Lamella. It's it's not going to happen for him. But now I see him as just, I don't want to sound ridiculous, but just one of the best players in the league. He just seems effortlessly superb in the way in which he just reads the game, the way in which he manages to win possession, the amount of work he does, and just being that guy that can play the pass before the pass, if you like. Um, Because it seems as though we still lack the pass uh, in that final third. But he was very much like the fulcrum of a lot of what we were doing. are you are you a particular fan of his? Massive fan, and I was really really excited when we we, we signed him. And I think that his his first season was a struggle for him because he it was too crowded, too crowded a field, and he had to kind of play a bit part here and there. And I got the sense that he was one of these players that would really benefit from just being given the responsibility that he was sharing when he was on the pitch with Ericsson, with Delhi to some respects. And as you say, yesterday he was just superb. And effortless as well. He's, he, he reminds me that he can be our sort of like Coutinho type player. Mm. Um, although maybe a little bit more subtle. And, you know, he just it's the sort of player that you don't mind losing the ball because they're trying through balls that, yeah. you know, you try try four, the fifth one comes off and you're through on goal. You know, that's that that's what we've lacked a bit, that that, that bit of um, just taking that risk. And I think I think he was brilliant and as you say just kind of everywhere um Hoiberg who didn't fill me with a lot of confidence after the Everton game and again I know that trying not to be knee-jerk but I thought he was decent I thought Winks was very good um and as you know I'm not the the biggest kind of fan of Harry Winks um but he did he he did very well but you have to point to Newcastle's tactics as well that they were just again just so so strange like even not pressing our midfield and then just letting us play through them and you know if not for their goalkeeper which is something that we've said many many times we'd have absolutely buried them first half um and then you know sun going off at half time was problematic for us but i still think we were in complete complete control and it was a very good fluid sharp performance and you know that that's something you can take 
regardless of what the other team are doing you know you're picking up the second balls your touch is good you you know where your your other players are and so yeah definitely definitely a massive positive performance for us can you see any particular reason why because it seems to be you know not only words but actions seem to be pointing to the fact that Ndombele and Mourinho are managing to reconcile their differences and actually work together to great effect now and Dombele is starting to look every bit the player that we hoped he would I mean I think he's he's a majestic footballer he looks he just looks just brilliant he he almost looks like a throwback to a to a kind of Berbatov type player Berbatov a Ginola like yeah okay not exactly positionally or whatever but just that bit of excitement of him doing things on the ball, some of these little flicks, some of the turns he he pulls off with actual purpose. Um, that I just wonder how has he done that? I don't I don't see other players do that. Why don't Why don't all footballers do that? And then you realise that's because he's a special player and he has this kind of yeah maybe this kind of laziness if we like yeah I mean there might be. I get that there's a lot of kind of like racial tropes and stuff that are often appropriated very sort of coarsely to black footballers um, and lazy being one of those. I, I do feel with Ndombele it, it was less a case of that um, and it was, I mean obviously I can't speak on everyone's intention but I'm just mean for the wider discussion. It seemed to me that he did actually come across as quite a lazy footballer, and his fitness wasn't great. But then I'm also like, a lot of people used to think that about Berbatov, and you know he was superb. Maybe maybe he's just a languid footballer. Maybe that's kind of his thing. And the trade-off with that is that you get this player that can not only bamboozle the opposition, but also just pepper a game, pepper your side, like give it some excitement, actually get the ball moving forwards. Um, but there still seems to be this hesitance to play him alongside Lo Celso. Um, do, you, do you get the feeling that this is Mourinho potentially being worried about their ability to play together in a stylistic way? Or do you think it's more just about managing the pair of them knowing that they're both probably not quite at their peak fitness yet. Uh, I think it's definitely the latter, to be honest, because on, on paper and, and what we've seen, those two, if they can, they'll have to adapt their game slightly to, to play together in some respects, but I think they'd be absolutely, or they have the potential to be absolutely brilliant together. And yeah, you're right. And Dombele has, has, has kind of worked his way back into proceedings, which is great. I think the whole last season um, bench warming stuff and injuries, I think, again, talking about the drama being injected into this, I mean, it's quite clear what happened. He was unfit. He moved to a new league that he needs to adapt. Yeah, all right, I'm sure he had some growing up to do as well in terms of his kind of attitude. But, you know, he, he looks like he's trimmed down massively. He looks like he's really putting a shift in and got his, got his head down. So, you know, that... That in itself is just again a natural kind of progression for things. Sometimes players 
get it. Sometimes it takes them a while for the penny to drop, and it's just that that's the case. I don't think Mourinho's got a big um, question mark over Ndombele. I think he's just like, well, the guy's not fit, so he's not going to play. If he's fit and he shows me in training that he can achieve what I want him to, then he'll play. And I think it's as simple as that. I'm looking forward to that moment, say, in next season's Champions League final, mm. when Ndombele is just running riot, running rings around Liverpool or Bayern Munich or whoever it is in the final. And it's just it's just that moment in Whiplash. You're going to have Mourinho on the <laughs> sideline and he's going to be like, you know, ushering him on, giving him that hand as, you know, Ndombele's tapping the cymbal just before he goes in for the, for the massive kind of drum solo that you see in that end. You know, when he's thrown him to the wolves, he yeah. kind of, you know... He, he 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 wasn't sure if he was rushing or if he was dragging, but now he definitely knows he was rushing, and mm. it's all fallen into place. And he's that's it. He's Buddy Rich. He's he's gonna go and smash it. Because um, Raj said the other week, and I can't be tempted to agree with him that Ndombele could low key be our player of the season if things go his way, because he's just. He came with such a huge reputation. We were all so excited about him. And it's almost like we've, and the wider kind of footballing, you know, commentary has just forgotten. Actually, he's he's a really brilliant player and he was touted as being one of the, one of the, you know, potential leading stars in European football um, just a, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. I, I think he's one of our most uniquely talented players Potential-wise, obviously, because as we've said, he's, yeah. he's still kind of adapting. But I think what he brings to a team, there's very few players like him in European football, certainly not in the Premier League, as we, we've seen flashes of it. So if we can just harness it, then, you know, superb. And I think he's... I, I'm, I, I hadn't written him off, but I was kind of of the opinion that we've given him enough chances and if he doesn't want to bother then get rid of him I'm yeah not gonna, like, I, I was absolutely with you on that absolute but um on, on on the flip side you know we still knew he was a brilliant player and if we can get him involved then then great and it seems to have, frankly have been the latter do you think the line basically that spurs shouldn't be so bitter about the penalty they should be more annoyed that they didn't bury more of their chances is particularly fair because as you said their goalkeeper did have an absolute stormer um and I struggle to think of any real opportunities that we were kind of profligate on or absolutely squandered no we didn't and we didn't let up I mean you know we had to adapt a little in the second half um but this is the thing that Yes, you can you can wheel out that trope about you should have buried your chances. It's like true, but you shouldn't have to score three or four goals just in case a penalty of that nature goes against you because Newcastle did not have a sniff, right? I think Laurie's touched the ball twice with his gloves, like during play. One of those times was when he got a hand on the penalty. So you that's just rewarding uh um, poor poor players and the thing is let's, let's take it on, on a wider sense as well I'll, I'll come back to the point about us being profligate but the you see Steve uh, Steve Ash Mike Ashley sorry Mike Ashley's 
face after that game. He was beaming. As a Newcastle fan, you know you're not going to sign any players now because he's <laughs> got a point and Newcastle got a point. So that's another thing. So he's not going to invest in, or he's less likely to invest in your team now that he's, you know, he'll know that they can get points like that in, because they've got Andy Carroll. That's going. That's got to be troubling for for Newcastle fans. But going back to the profligate point, the yeah, you know, I, I thought we just, I thought we'd run away with it, and 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 we should have done. But again, there is an art to winning games one 0 You should be able to go one up, and if, for instance, one of your best players goes off injured, you and the fact that you've got four hundred games in ten days, you should be able to manage a game out. 1-0, change your approach, because that is football. To then say, oh, well, you should have scored more goals. It's like, well, how is that? How, how, sorry, how is this our fault? <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't overly buy it, to be honest. Well, I mean, it is going to be an interesting few days ahead. We've still got plenty of games to come. We've got Chelsea coming up. Um, and then we got, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, but Maccabah Haifa. Haifa, yeah. yeah. And that's at, that is at White Hart Lane, isn't it? I thought yeah. it was in Israel, but it's, it is actually at White Hart Lane. So you'd uh, hope we come through that. That is a proper test. But then again, Manchester United on the weekend. So there's going to be uh, plenty of room for discussion. But I hope you have taken something from our, our well, my mostly madcap ramblings today um it just i don't know i don't really i don't really know what more to what more to say for it feels like we've done done quite a bit done it but you know it is mm. just as much as you uh you want to kind of say that's it i'm gonna support dog and duck rovers or whatever you know it you still get drawn back into this awful yeah, yeah. catastrophe of a entertainment it's more like yeah let's call it sports entertainment like wwf and yeah. oh, no, that's pandas now isn't it it's wwe that's yeah, you the can't one. drive one of them mate yeah. I'll, I'll give it a go mate like if it, if it fancies a bit like i'm not gonna back <laughs> away do you know what i mean i'm double hard but uh yeah i mean i'll leave uh I'll leave you the uh, the listening public with this little uh, this little excerpt from an article on the Irish Times by uh, somebody called Ken Early. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree entirely with his article, but you know, he he, he the final couple of paragraphs of it are, <laughs> are probably quite fitting to this to this episode. So he writes, the Premier League staggers on. It's poorly prepared teams delivering shambolic matches to trigger payments from pay TV companies that seem hardly less beleaguered themselves. This game, suddenly pathetic, deprived of the crowds that lend its aura of heroism, this game that's been reduced to a parody of itself, clinging to its place in a decaying culture amidst a collapsing economy on a burning planet, this is the game that is now apparently in danger of being killed by the handball rule. It reminds us, if we were ever in danger of forgetting, that humankind cannot bear very much reality. Thank God we have the handball controversy to fixate on, as it forces our beloved sports celebrities to endure comical indignity 
and allows the rest of us to luxuriate in fiery and passionate denunciation. Long may we continue to get wound up about handball, which is so much more relatable than allowing ourselves to look too long at the big picture in all its overbearing bleakness. Just uh, ruminate on that one, ladies and gents, and uh, yeah, we'll see you again on a on another happy episode of Rule the Roost podcast. Come on, you Spurs! Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.